welcome back to the Ron Rings Podcast Universe. Uh, it's your host, Ron Rapitalo, and we're back with my friend from the Education Leaders of Color group that I met about four years ago, Marcela Andres. She's a dope Latina who's currently in Texas and is doing amazing work on family engagement in schools throughout the country. So take a listen, drop some real jewels, not only about her story, but about why she does this work and the impact of the work in schools. And folks, she's going global. Last but not least, got to give a plug to Leverage Publishing Group. It's my new media company, and I'm looking to ghostwrite and publish authors who want to publicize their voice to the world for their first book. Check us out, leveragepublishinggroup.com. Peace. What is going on, Rondering's Universe? We're back. We coming. In the words of Deion Sanders. And I feel very, very fortunate to have my amiga, mi hermana, Marcela Andres, on the mic on Rondering Season 3. Welcome, Marcela, to the podcast. On the mic, I like it. I feel like I should do some turntables, Ron. <laughs> but I don't actually do them, so don't come me for that. Neither do I. If you said like, hey, let's do karaoke together and do some like sappy duet of something great, like I that's that's more my jam. But like doing anything, I love hip hop, but doing <laughs> anything that requires me to rap or to be on a turntable would be really yeah. embarrassing. I'd lose a lot of my credibility. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Marcella, you and I met through the world of the education leaders of color. I have to say you're one of like, I, I would say at least the fourth, if not fifth guest from our Edlock fam. So it's a real privilege to, even though this is not an Edlock podcast, um, so many good people that I love and care about are through Edlock. And so it just made sense to continue that, you know, like, you know, putting folks on like you who I just deeply love and care about. So. Oh, I appreciate that. And I can remember specifically when we met in person in Virginia. So thank you for uh, that. Oh, we go back to 2019, rest of Virginia. And two pandemics before Ooh. now. <laughs> so much has changed, yet there's enough that I think has stayed, unfortunately, the same, which is for this conversation. So, yes. Marcella, why don't we start you out? What is your story? That is, you know, a really great way to go real deep, real quick, which is my style. <laughs> Dude, we, we don't start slow here. It's not like, hey, how's the weather, Marcella? Oh, why don't you tell me about... No, we go right in. We go yeah. right in. Yeah, no, you're my type of person for sure. <laughs> I love that. You know, there's so many aspects of one story, I think, that can be shared. I, there's so many aspects of my story that I can share. And I think that... In this season that I'm in, I want to really lift up family and community and how it was and has been and still is instrumental to who I am as a person. And I think, you know, my earliest memories of family that come to mind are my mom. Like my mom is such a strong, important figure in my life when I think of family. And of course, beyond my mom, I have such a big family. I, think I have 38 first cousins. And I think like Ooh. 
five second cousins. So big family. Uh, but my mom has definitely always been this pillar of support, this advocate, this champion of who I am as a woman, who I am as a leader. And I am hmm. so grateful for the investment that she uh, has chose to make in me and continues to make. Because let's be clear, I still call my mommy <laughs> when I need advice on all things, including how to make food. That's all, right. Yeah. And, you know, um, and I'll talk more about community here, but, you know, growing up in poverty was very difficult. And when I think about the privilege that I hold right now, the prosperity that I've, I've had the opportunity to experience, it is because I had this woman, my mommy, in my corner saying, Marcela, you are going to do great things. She never allowed our circumstance to define what would become who I am today. She always would do little things to say, tu puedes, dale ganas, échale ganas. Um, <laughs> like, it, yeah. it, she would literally, let me tell you, Ron, in my childhood bedroom where I still visit at, at times um, today, my mom has this poster that she gave me where it's a little club and then a big lion and it says dream big and that was kind of my mom's mantra like dream big and i actually use it when i do keynotes because what you say to children really matters and my mom would always say to me like even though we're poor that doesn't matter you can reach all of your dreams and um you know i i say this and i start with my mom because she was such a critical component and i feel very lucky to have had her in my life to support all those dreams and then it wasn't just my mom. My mom was a single mom for a while. It was also my community. And my community really also came alongside my mom to support this little Marcela that, uh, you know, was trying to figure out the world as an English language learner, as a child of immigrants, as one who was trying to navigate the assimilation of her parents while assimilating the fact that her parents had divorced while assimilating mm. like the development of a child. And so, so many complexities there. But what I will say and kind of hone in on is an, a time in my life where I was struggling with these identities. I was struggling with the identity of being poor. I was struggling with the identity of not being able to speak and understand English well and with not having a, a father figure. And our neighbor actually came alongside my mom to really support me in a time where I needed the most support. And it was when I needed some help on, on homework. And it was a really critical moment because in that moment, my mom had reached her limitation in speaking English, uh, rather understanding English. Like she could no longer help me with my my homework. And my neighbor had, you know, high school education, but nonetheless, a high school education and an immigrant herself and comes to help my mom and really support me. Mm. And from that experience, I learned that people will come alongside you when you ask. And my mom asked our neighbor to come in and help me. And so I gave you like very high level snippets of that moment, but yeah. it was really impactful in my life to see my neighbor come and help me and thus invest in me and, and really impact the journey that I've had. So that's a lot. But yeah. what I would say here is my mom is a champion. She has been my champion. My yeah. neighbor really came in to support my mom and 
along the way, this is just kind of a rinse and repeat of all the people that have been really present in my life to invest in who I am today. So, yeah, that's really powerful, Marcella. There's something I want to hone in on, which is something I think you and I have talked about. I've talked about this with all of my guests and a heck of a lot of other people that will be future guests of this podcast is making the ask. Mm-hmm. It's something, so let me let me do a little like my own cultural reflection and kind of get what you learned from your mom and how you've grown in making the ask, right? Mm-hmm. Is there's this Tagalog term in the Philippines called hiya. Mm-hmm. Hiya means shame. Yeah. Now, some of how I've internalized hiya is literally in when you're asking for help, mm-hmm. right? Because it comes with things, right? I think and I'm going to say these things feel diametrically opposed, right? Because I think in your culture, my culture, comunidad, familia, mm-hmm. familia is mm-hmm. so integral to how we are and how we get by and how we also thrive that that seems misaligned. Like, wait, what did you just ask your community, your family, you, you're in need? Mm-hmm. Not so simple, right? Because this idea, at least in the Philippines, is like, you know, there's a level of like, you know, you we're all connected. So like, if I ask, it, it, it comes with a feeling of like, how am I going to be perceived? Mm. What if they say no? It's like all of these things, right? And so I've had to unlearn and continue to unlearn hiya as it comes to making an ask. So I guess the question I would pose for you, Marcel, what did you learn in that moment from your mom about making the ask? And what are you continuing to learn slash unlearn about making the ask for yourself in life and your business? Mm-hmm. Yes. And thank you for that lesson. Yeah, that is a word I didn't know, but I it, it sounds deep and profound. And I think- <laughs> it's, it's one of those words like in our languages, right? If you think about it, it's like these words have a sound. You don't even like you go, oh, it like hits like right in your heart. If this was video, right? Like it hits yeah. right in your heart. So, yeah. yeah. And it hits right in your heart. Like that word hits. And I think that when you ask, it hits, right? And when my mom asked, it hit. Like it was a sense of desperation. Like she could no longer help me. And she had to resolve how she was going to help me. And the way she was going to help me is to ask. And I think to what you were saying about the internal struggle that we have, sometimes it can feel shameful. Sometimes it can feel like, oh. I'm failing because I'm asking. But in reality, because she asked, we are here right now, right? Mm, and amen. Yeah. And I and I think that the lessons that I took from that is like, use the grit that you have. Use the power that you have within you to do what you can. And know that, that when you get to a point that you can't by yourself anymore, it's okay to A, feel that sense of desperation and B, ask because there will be people who will say, I got you. Yeah. And that's what happened. And the way I carry it into my business now is very similar. Like I've been in business for almost five years and being a Latina founder, first of all, there's not a lot of us, right? And we got to change that. And that has become a second mission. (laughs) Amen to that. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then second of all, it's hard. Like Funding is not something that we receive equitably. It's not something that's, you know, part of even what I inherit 
because of all the things, right? But then also like understanding and navigational capital of of moving in a space of designing a company and all this stuff. It's just hard. And I have literally done as much as I can. And then I'm like, no puedo más. I need to ask for help. Dad, ah, right? And mm. and there has been, and people will tell you, I mean, they won't tell you because they got my back, but I have called people and I have cried and I have said, I need help. And similar to my neighbor, when I was a child, I got you, right? And I think that part of uh, what I feel a lot of gratitude for is having seen a woman, my mom, someone who I, I, I love and, and respect so much, do that for me and know that it's okay on the other end. So she herself broke a mental model. And even though I still kind of had it because I was afraid, I was able to put it in action because she modeled it for me. And I just mm-hmm. hope that next generation that comes after me will see like, oh, it's okay to ask for help because you can only do so much. We are building dreams and community, period. Yeah, there's something I think we learn within particularly American, I would say broader Western context, right? It's a term that always has thrown me off, right? Pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, right? This idea Mm -hmm. that you do it alone, you know, and especially the worlds that you and I are in, right? We are entrepreneurs where within our community, there's like, there certainly are Philippine entrepreneurs. There's not a ton. Right. Right. And so it's one of those things I reflect upon like, ooh, I am learning as I'm building, but there are enough people out there. And then I also broaden my definition of like, who else, like it's going to my people of color, right? It's going towards my values aligned people, right? Mm -hmm. Just who are going to, have my back through all of this, right? And so you mentioned something around getting to moments where you ask for help and you cry to folks. So mm-hmm. my, my, my kind of like zoom out question is related to my book, Leverage to People, Love and Care About You Personally, Professionally, Building <laughs> Circle <laughs> Champions, wink, wink, right? Is who has been, who has been, <laughs> I mean, it's my, it's my podcast, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's keep it real. So what, who have been in your circle of champions? Like there's your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, definitely my neighbors, my community. I mean, listen, my 96 year old neighbor, she'll have me over for wine time at 5 p.m. And I'm like, man, <laughs> I will get up when I grow up. Um, so she's in my circle. Like, you need five o'clock wine time with your 96 year old neighbor. And if you're not doing that, I'm not sure what you're doing at five o'clock. But that's dope. <laughs> it is super dope. Mm-hmm. You know, I also have my networks like Edlock, Latinos for Education, 4.0, NAFSCI, like so many amazing networks that I'm part of that have mission aligned folks that I get to run with that I've built some beautiful relationships. Of course, you included here, right, that we talk about real stuff and we connect about these things that we're really passionate about. For sure. I would say another piece that I, I feel like sometimes I take for granted is like my church community. And um, mm-hmm. that is such a critical piece of myself. And I've seen how critical it is even in the lives of our students. And we leave that yes. out of the conversation. I haven't been running lately, but when I do run my running community, like being able to like mm-hmm. physically run with people and like, you know, yeah. our what's happening in the world, I think is really cool. And really, I think community can be found with people that are running with you in the same direction in different things. Like you 
find a community in your HOA, right? You can find a community with the people that you go to the library with at the same time, et cetera. But for me, really, I would say like my closest community is certainly my family, my friends, and these networks, especially those that are mission aligned to the work I do around educational equity and access. Yeah. I'm not surprised, Marcelo, because some of it was the prompting of the question, right? You started talking about what I would say are concentric circles. Yeah. And the outlining of these networks, right? You know, a lot of what I thought about and visually in terms of who has our back, right? Our family, community, and you can define those very broadly, right? Starting to think about not just individuals, but aggregates mm-hmm. of groups, of identities, of organizations, of things, right? Where those things have your back. So I'm curious, like, when you know who to reach out to and for what? Like, how have you leveraged your circle of champions when you need help? Like, how do you know who to pull from, right? And I'm asking you this question because sometimes people ask me this question. I'm like, let me just turn the mic to Marcella because she's living this too. Like, Marcella, please. Consejo. Mira. Yeah. Yeah, I know enough Spanish to be dangerous, to be clear, growing up in New York City. I will be on these streets with you anytime. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, well, why did I ask for all that? Yes. But I, I think the way I approach it is just like everything has a process and I probably will not call like this random person that I just met at a networking event to talk about this um, contract that I'm trying to process right out loud with or, you know, et cetera. I'll probably call somebody from my network that's a consultant that, you know, is immersed in like contracts and et cetera, et cetera. Similarly, like when I have faced, you know, personal issues, I probably won't necessarily go to, you know, my broader network. I will go to my most intimate circle and... Mm rely on them and say like, I'm going through this, like, just, I just need somebody to hear me out and maybe give me advice. Or, you know, when I'm going through, you know, these different things, I think what I, I, I'm trying to say is align the ask, um, or, you know, what I'm seeking from the kind of group that I'm, uh, or rather, yeah, you know, Uh, what I'm trying to say is like align what I'm looking for with the group that it it kind of belongs with. And not that people in my life belong in groups, but to some extent, you know, you have these circles, right. And, and actually we know from research that there is a way we develop in there. It's called the, well, one research has called one researcher, Yuri Broffenbrenner has called it the ecological systems theory model, which I use all the time in my work. And it talks about who are the most closest to your development that's your family that's your church that's your neighbors you know and from there kind of build out and that's kind of the way i would say i approach um my my ask and and reaching out to people depending on where i'm at is there something marcella you feel comfortable because i feel like the audience would love to hear a specific example is there something that comes to mind be willing to share about how that has looked like oh yeah i can share yeah. So there was a moment that I was struggling with funding my company and I was like, oh my gosh. And it was kind of a two-part situation. One, I had a situation with the contract. And then the second part was like, 
because of this, this is happening. And yeah. so with two people I had, actually it was a more complex issue. So there was like multiple people that I sought advice from and some of it was advice and some of it was like, I need actual money. Like there is no way for me to make payroll because let's keep it real. Many times when you are a founder, like that is going to happen. And that definitely mm. happened to me. And I thankfully have a really amazing friend. Shout mm. out to them for being like, here, let me wire you what you need. And came through like that. Right. And that's a big ass. Like I'm not talking yeah. about just, and, and it wasn't even just payroll for that week. They were like, you know what? take it for a couple of weeks and or several weeks. And that was like, man, I'm so grateful for that friend. And then that friend didn't have necessarily the contract experience that I needed to like handle that other side. And so I went out to other circles and be like, listen, I have this situation happening. Like, what do I do? And people really came through for me and they were like, no girl, you got to do this, this, and this. And, mm, and they were, yeah. were formal and they weren't like, no girl. Like they were like, well, the way you would approach this, <laughs> all of would be like this. And um, the people that I spoke with supported me in one way or another. And, yeah. thanks, you know, I'm in a much better place. And I will also say, like, psychologically, I created a stronger safety net because I knew and know that my community has me. I've been thinking about that concept, Marcella, for the last two months that I have ventured into re-ventured into entrepreneurship myself, right? And so the talking point that I've made to folks is I'm making a calculated bet. It's not a given about building these businesses because I think like you, trust is our biggest currency. In fact, it's not just unique to us. I think it's everybody that walks this planet. When you get conscious of trust as your biggest currency and how you build trust, how do you operationalize it? You follow, it's all the things like you hear around how people do things, right? But I think in our communities, right? You know, when you rely on these deep cultural values, making the ass feels less transactional, right? Because all you're doing is seeking the wisdom of your people that want to be generous to you anyway, mm -hmm. right? And so when I've coached people on how to make the ask, I say, you just got to flip it. If you believe that someone wants to be generous and the easiest people to start with are the people who love and care about you personally, professionally, right? It just becomes less of an ask that feels transaction, more of an ask of you've had my back before you love me, this like spirit of that and doing that trust fall to say, catch me. Because right? when we do that, and, and I'm tying this to entrepreneurship for my next question for you is, you know, as you've been on your entrepreneurial journey, and I'll, and I'll focus this because you said something that really resonated with me is like, you want to see more Latina entrepreneurs out there. What would you tell the aspiring Latina entrepreneurs what you've learned and where you're going? Mm -hmm. mm. So much there. I, I could write a whole book and I could write a whole book. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> Yeah, if you need, you know, doing your second book, Marcella, I got you. Leverage I Publishing know. Group, Ghostwriting Publishing Authors. Yes, okay. I know, I know. And this <laughs> is a whole nother topic. So I'm going to take you up for that, Ron. Yeah. You know, I think that I said something earlier that I, I, I've been thinking about a lot, and that's building dreams and community. I'm, I would say to any Latina 
uh, entrepreneur or any aspiring Latin entrepreneur is when you start out this idea to create your vision, your passion, know that you are building it in community. You are building it in community. And I certainly have been building it in community. And because I have been building in community, it has been such a beautiful journey and an affirming one because I've never felt alone. Even though it's been really hard, Hmm. never felt alone. How did you decide to take that leap to entrepreneurship? What were the conditions? What what's the what's the story behind it? Because everyone has a story about this. I have mine, and I'd love for the audience to hear yours. Yeah, you know, I think I want to go back to probably third grade when my mom was trying to teach me. <laughs> Word, I love going back in the way where we're with Doc in the Back to the Future DeLorean. Here we go. I yeah. said third grade. Here we go. I said at third grade, my mom was like, let me teach you some some skills. And um, mm. she wanted, I think, to teach me the value of money. But what she also taught me was the value of entrepreneurship. And so what my mom did is um, she went to Sam's and she bought boxes of chips and boxes of M&M's and Cokes and popcorn. And, and she let me sell it from our apartment. And, you know, I was... Marcela and I love snacks and I still love snacks today. <laughs> <laughs> you cookie monster those snacks, didn't you? Oh no. <laughs> those chocolate M&Ms, they were it for me. And so, and the chips, I love chips as well. And so I would consume some of my product and, and my mom would like, let me do it. And then, you know, she would say, okay, Marcela, let me tell you how much we paid for this. Let me show you what you sold. And then let me show you what you ate. <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. such a great business lesson without her using these business terms, right? And obviously, she probably didn't know about embezzlement, but she was probably giving me a lesson on embezzlement too. Like, don't be eating your product, yo. But, you know, it, it all started in third grade. I think my mom really taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. And, you know, I learned like you could you could do something with products. You could do something with services. And I, you know, went on and I got my degree in business fast yeah. years later and I was doing great in business. I, I, I went the insurance route and then my life took me to live in my mother's home country for three years. I lived in Torreón, Coahuila, Mexico. So shout out to the folks I lived in and around. And it was there that my life really took a pivot in my career, rather really strong pivot in my career. I went from like the insurance field into education. I became a tutor and then quickly became a classroom teacher. Mm. And then at three years, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm heading back. I'm going to go back to insurance. That's what I'm going to do. And yeah. That was not what I was going to do. I was praying about it. People were praying about it for me. And it became very clear that I was actually going to stay in education. And so I was working with opening up schools in neighborhoods that was very similar to the one I grew up in. I opened four schools that uh, when I left had a little over 1,800 children in that area. And Mm. I felt, you know, very grateful for that opportunity And in that moment, when I was working in those schools, one of the things that I continually came across was 
moms, especially moms, but moms and dads and, and family members who didn't speak Spanish, just like my mom. And they wanted their child to have a high quality education. They wanted to have access to uh, to the schools that we had open and we had wait lists and I just couldn't, you know, there was no way for me to like, just put people in, right? Like I was following a process and, and yeah. going through a wait list. And one of the things that started happening is like, oh, I really love families. Like I really love working with them. I would love when they would come and sit at my table at my office and talk to me. And, and I really felt this connection with working with families because I think in the large part, especially the mommies, reminded me of my mom. It reminded me of how mm. my mom navigated the educational system and the people that supported her. And I felt in some way that I was giving back in working with them as closely as I was. And, you know, I work with families, but I also work with principals very closely for, as a matter of fact. And there was born this like idea of organizational leadership and community advocacy and how those worlds have to coexist in a very high functioning, high quality way. So that children like me who grew up in circumstances that are not ideal would have, you know, strong outcomes. And I, I didn't intend to be in education, but now I'm very interested in, into this aspect of, you know, uh, organizational leadership and community advocacy and family engagement. So anyways, decided to, now I say this, decided to, and yeah. found the Lord's favor, God, he, mm-hmm. You know, I applied to Harvard. I went to Harvard. And when I graduated from Mm -hmm. Harvard, I came back and I started working for this organization specifically to help design a a family engagement program. And I did that in Texas. I designed a statewide family engagement program and I was getting ready to design the second year of it. And then in that, in that first year, it had gotten so much momentum and I started getting calls from across the country saying like, can you do this in Kansas? Can you do this in Ohio? Can you do this over here? And I was like, no, this is a Texas-based program. It's funded by, you know, uh, a local billionaire here in Texas. Like he's only funding work in Texas. So no, I cannot. But I was like, wait, why can't I? <laughs> right. Because why can't I? Right. Mm-hmm. Like That's it was right. this moment. I just designed this the statewide program. You know, I I have been working towards this like my entire life. Like I grew up in not ideal circumstances. I know how to how to navigate a system. So I got some street cred, got my undergraduate degree in business administration. So I got some some chops from you know St. Edward. Shout out to our SEU family. And then I went to Harvard and I studied you know, family and community engagement with Dr. Karen Mapps. So shout out to my Harvard family there. And I was like, why can't I? So then I made this bold choice to start my own company. And again, going back to building dreams and community, I had this moment where I was afraid. I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know, whatever. And all this like thinking that was going on in my mind. And then I had a friend who said, it's like jumping off a plane. Your community yeah. is your parachute. Like nobody was born. Mm, I love it. Yeah. And and just jump and we got you. And it was another way, right, of of ask and we got you. And so um, that was a very long way of sharing with you. Like from third grade to 2019 is when I decided to open up my company. But that really has been the journey. And it's always, I think, been in me 
at least from the moment that I started selling chips and M&Ms in my my mom's apartment. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. You were talking about like eating your product. My mind started going into hip hop and I went into like Biggie's Don't Get High on Your Own Supply. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> you had most of the cell and then you get dick like, and you go downhill from there, right? That's such a powerful story to hear about that. Like there's so much wisdom in our parents and in, in our community, right? Who might not have the quote unquote academic labels and these being oh these, God. you know, places of, of, of higher ed institutions necessarily, right? Where there's so much like, I love hearing those things because it elevates such experience that didn't need the language of academia. It was the heart advice of your mom who knew how to like do things because she loved and cared about you. Wanted to show you these lessons, right? And then fast forward because you saw that trust in your own community and your family and you had built through the place you've been at, you started connecting the dots. And so you had the dots to connect for this parachute that had been for you, you just needed to go look up and go, oh, wait a second. <laughs> if I just tie the strings together, I've got enough to, all right, here we go. Let me go jump, right? I think that seems like such a common theme for so many of us who look like us that mm -hmm. it's trusting in our family or community when you make that leap of faith. And to be clear, like entrepreneurship is not for everybody for a lot of different reasons, right? Yeah. I know what has centered me is wanting to have impact and autonomy and flexibility to build generational wealth for me and my family. That is ours. That's right. That is a very different path than saying I'm going to, and like at some level, it's just kind of turning the construct of what I understand of this country that mm -hmm. our country incentivizes, at least in terms of taxes, mm -hmm. businesses it just does. When you're an individual, you get taxed like crazy, right? You build business, businesses. You play enough of the accounting game, you just get taxed less. That's just, that's a reality. That's what I learned. And I'm still learning that game, right? <laughs> but I want to move towards, Marcella, you talking about design at engagement and telling the audience a little bit about what that business is, what y'all have done and where y'all heading. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Whew, where, I don't even know how to, where, <laughs> you know, where, where we've been and where we're heading. Yeah. You know, design engagement is really that. Like, we are helping people, we're supporting people to intentionally design engagement. Like, I don't have to tell anybody. Relationships are complex. They're complex with your partner. They're complex with business partners. They're complex with your employees. Muchísima. In every facet. They're, complex, they're complicated with your mama, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I my mama, but they're they're complicated. And so, because of what I experienced, the benefit of the relationships that supported me, I'm a huge advocate that when people work together in a coordinated effort towards the same goal, people are going to receive those benefits. And in particular, students, right? When you have families, educators, and community members working in partnership in a coordinated effort, students will, will thrive. As a matter of fact, 50 plus years of research proves that. And no need to go into the research, just Google it. It'll just saying, just <laughs> saying, just Google it. Yeah, Google, Google it. And so, yeah, I feel like 
we have been really focusing in on that type of work. And now that looks and feels different for our partners. Like some will come and say, Marcela, help us out with student recruitment and enrollment, right? Some of them will help say, help us out with improving student attendance. Some of them will say, we're ready to do the deeper work. Help us co-create because we co-create. We don't do things to you. We do things with you. Help us co-create a roadmap of how to strengthen the partnerships between families, community, and education. Uh, And that's what we really mm. love. Like we love the other things, but we love those opportunities where we can co-create that mini little roadmap, strategic plan, where we help foster those relationships. So that's the kind of work we've been doing. We've been doing that in, you know, a depth and breadth of of services. I mean, uh, yeah, of services. And we've been doing it across the country. I'm so proud to say that we've been coast to coast and our vision is to hit every single state in our growth as we grow. And if I'm being really bold and dreaming big, like my mama taught me to, I do want to take this work uh, internationally. So that's where that's where we're going. Now, one way that mm-hmm. we internationally, because I've looked at our analytics, is our website has been getting hits internationally, and we are intentionally, you know, building our kind of social media presence, as well as, like I mentioned at the beginning of this call, Ron, we have a podcast called Transformative Partnerships that talks about this very idea. Big of- up, yes. <laughs> Yeah, of how do you, how, you know, how can people build really strong relationships among family, community, and educators to support students, to support families and community? We have that. And then you dropped this, so I'm going to redrop it. I have a book out. um, Come on, elevate. Let's go. Let's go. Connections. So I am very proud. Um, It'll be available for, it's available for order now. The pre-sales technically start November 20th, but you can link on and uh, you'll get your book after December 10th. So that book is about, again, connection. Like what can educators do? What are some strategies based on my lived experience, based on me as a practitioner in the classroom? Very limited, but nonetheless, you know, three years in the classroom. Plus now as a practitioner on the field, supporting educators. Yeah. Families, like what can educators do to build deeper relationships with students? So that's mm. a little bit of who we are, where we've been, and where we're going. That is so wonderful. There's nothing like the labor of love of like getting your first book out there. So, audience, don't worry. Marcella is going to drop all these things with the podcast episode note. So, you've got the links because Marcella and Design Ed Engagement is building towards something that's going to have such tremendous impact that get it while it's not as hot and popping as you think it is because it's already hot and popping it's just gonna get bigger oh my god marcella you already went right into like my last last question which was like (laughs) elevate and talk about the things you want to promote right so let me go to my second to last question and kind of see where we go from here right is obviously my podcast is named renderings marcella what is your rendering Muchas cosas ricas. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. We're going to end with that. All right, y'all. My job. Muchas cosas ricas. Like, really, really. I love cooking. Love cooking. I really do. Okay. And food is rica. It's good. It's delicious. And I would say that in order to cook a meal, in order to create something, there's a process. 
there's two types of cooks. I'm still the cook that is really technical. Like I, when I'm trying to cook my mom's food, I still have to measure it so it can come out as closely as my mom. My mom's like, let me taste this. Let me put this. And she got it right. So yeah. mm-hmm. there's something about a process where you may be in a, in, a, in a stage in your leadership, in your journey where you're still measuring stuff and that's okay. And you may be in a stage in your journey, in your life, in your experience where you've developed the, the chops, right? To lead from a very experienced place. And that's okay. And regardless of where you're at, as long as you're doing it with community, as long as you're serving that food and you're enjoying it with people, I think that's where the magic is. And it gets even more special when you invite people to cook with you. I cannot tell you mm. how many times I have enjoyed cooking more when there are people in my kitchen with me that are my, uh, you know, sous chefs that's the way you say it and yes. we're laughing and they're like oh i had a little bit more spice because you always gotta add a little bit more spice <laughs> picante um, picante right <laughs> then well i'm just cooking by myself and that's really a mm. metaphor for the kind of work that we're talking about like you can go through this life and you can do things on your own but mm. are you really going to enjoy it are you going to really enjoy doing these things by yourself or you can go through life and you can cook alongside people and then enjoy the fruits of, of that labor together. And mm. that process was fun and there was a lot of joy. And the meal usually is going to be really yummy. Yeah. What's your favorite dish to cook? And I'm sure that's a very loaded question. You probably have seven, but what is it? It's very loaded because uh, because of my multicultural identity yeah. <laughs> and the one that I try to adopt as well. Right. Right. I will say in my Mexican identity, I love chile rellenos. And for those of you who do not know what chile rellenos are, they're poblano peppers stuffed with cheese. And for me, I love them stuffed with cheese and uh, an onion. And then on my Cuban side, that Cuban identity, I love rabo encendido. Oh, say word. That's one of my favorite Cuban dishes. Mm. Oxtail on fire. And a lot of people are like, what's oxtail? Look it up. Make sure that you add it to. um, If you did like in the history of oxtail, when you think about what we as people of color did with what's considered the non-desirable meat and what mm -hmm. we've done across so many cultures to take things that are considered less desirable and turn them into because oxtail now like. In Philippine culture, one of my favorite oxtail dishes is a peanut butter stuco kare kare. Now, it doesn't need to be made with oxtail, but it is better with oxtail, right? (laughs) And it's one of those meats that like, it's this thing where if you don't cook it right, you don't boil it right, it's like really tough. But once you cook it right, Mm. it's so soft and fatty. Um, (laughs) I'm so hungry because I've not had lunch yet. I'm like, oh my God, I want oxtail for lunch. Oh yes. Same. That oh sounds delicious, though. I need to taste that. Kurakuro. Kare kare. Kare kare. Kare Yes. Yeah. Kare. Philippine language loves to have double words for its things. Halo halo is a very popular Philippine dessert, which literally means mix mix. I don't know what kare means. It must be. I should. Boy, I feel like a bad Filipino right now. Not knowing <laughs> enough. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, 
Marcella, before we end off, is there anything else you want to promote, talk about? I know you did some stuff earlier, but I wanted to give like one last plug to make sure we'll put you on for what else you want to like share with the audience about what you're doing to promote. Yeah, I mean, check out our website. We definitely support schools, nonprofits, businesses with their strategy on creating stronger relationships with families. And we have a breadth and depth of services that uh, we provide. Also, tune into our podcast, 1010. Uh, Hopefully, this will air before then. But if not, go back and listen to it. And then order the book, Purposeful Educator Connections. I would greatly appreciate everyone's support and connect with me on LinkedIn. I I always am open to new connections. And name your podcast again. Transformative Partnerships. Transformative Partnerships. Cool. And it's designedengagement.com, fam. Mm -hmm. Check out Marcella. And let's you and I talk offline because I'm sure you probably are starting to have some tentacles to go international. But um, (laughs) we just talked about in terms of like leveraging family community. I do know some folks who've like dipped into that world of international ed. So we should talk about how to get you more plugged in to share you and your company's brilliance internationally. I appreciate it. And I would very much welcome that opportunity, Ron. You've always been such a great supporter and champion. And I am so, so grateful for uh, for your support. Awesome. Well, Ronderings fam, and thank you, Marcella, for being a guest on Ronderings. Just, I knew this would be dope because we've had dope conversations before we've been on the mic here and just super grateful for the time and the space. And Ronderings fam, We out and we coming. Peace. (laughs) Thanks. Wow, we brought it live and direct with that episode with Marcella. And if you didn't think that we were going to include some food or make this into a food episode, well, surprises, surprises, right, fam? Well, I got to say and listen to Marcella share around there in the end. There's something really powerful that we get farther when we bring people to the table. And I love her cooking analogy because it makes so much sense, right? That when you get other chefs in the kitchen, you let that magic happen. You see what people can bring together. Generally, that product is better, right? I'd like to believe so. And certainly in Marcella's work and her lived experience, my lived experience, um, when you invite people to the table, magic happens. So Marcella, appreciate you so much. And Ronderings Podcast fam, we got more fire coming soon. Peace.